We're going to look to Romans chapter 12, verse number two. We're starting a series today that, Lord willing, will last several weeks. I'm going to say Lord willing because I get my plans, but sometimes I figure out it wasn't quite in line with what God's plans were. But uh, I'm certain today I'm in God's will, and I think we'll we'll go throughout this. It's based on a, a book. It's written by David Platt. I would encourage you to read it if you have not read it. It has great principles in it about the Word of God. Any book that's worth its salt in Christianity will be in line with the Word of God. Uh, because if anything is, is wrong, it's not the Bible. The Bible is always right. Um, Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 talks to us about the need to resist Conforming to the pattern of this world. There is a pressure that is all around us at all times. Almost 24 hours a day. When we are awake and when we are out and about our business. And we are just partaking in our normal everyday life. There is this pressure to conform. Trying to push us into its mold. Into its pattern. But it says do not allow this to happen. But instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now that's a process. Renewing is a continual process because just going about our day, we pick up junk. And some of that pressing affects us. And we got to come back and be renewed in our mind. Then when we resist that Temptation to conform, and instead we become renewed by the transforming power of God's Spirit, then we will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. When we resist the will of the world, we resist our own will. God shows us His will. And I want to do His will. I want to follow His pattern for my life. And so today we're going to begin this series about being counterculture by establishing we are following God's ways. That's our desire. To follow His ways. And after we pray, I'll tell you some things we are not doing this for. Some reasons we are not doing this series. Just to make it clear. Let's first ask the Lord to help us today. Lord Jesus, we're thankful for everyone who's in the house of the Lord today. Help us to engage our minds in the next few moments. Instead of just being having a desire to be entertained. We normally just sit down and we listen to something or watch something. And we just shut our brains off and we just take in whatever is coming at us. But today I pray we engage our hearts, we engage our spirits, we engage our minds, and we really think about what is being said through your word today. That you'll help me to communicate your word perfectly today. You'll help me to speak truth according to your word today. Not my opinion, not my biases, but what your word says. Because Lord, we want to walk according to your word. Not the pressures of the society all around us. But your word, God. We know that we'll find grace as we pursue your will. The strength we need, the wisdom we need, 
will be found in your presence today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 And you may be seated in the presence of the Lord today. Amen. Again, thankful for everyone who's in the house of the Lord. Thankful that you have taken some time out of your busy schedule to be in church. I guarantee you it's the best place for you to be. But it also, it, as Brother Pastor Ryan said earlier, it's helpful to us that you're here too because you encourage us. So I want to begin this series today by making it clear. This series is not a call to be an enemy of people in our culture. In fact, when we declare truth and love, we are the greatest ally anybody would ever have. Whether they like us or not. We are the proverbial lifeguard with the raft that will save them. We have a life preserver to toss them. We're not going to sit on our lifeguard stand and make fun of them for drowning. We're not going to be selfish and keep this preserving message to ourselves. But we are going to, in love, offer our assistance. This is not a call to find as much fault as we can in our culture. It's not a desire to be critical. There's plenty of that going on. This is not a call to practice self-righteous rants. This series is not a call to be contrary to culture simply for the sake of being different. We're not being weird just to be weird in the Portland sense. We are simply trying to follow Christ. As much as I can agree with people and be like others, I will be until they cease to follow Christ. And then I must follow God rather than man. I don't just have a desire to be different. This is not a call to be antagonistic and rude again. Being kind and respectful is actually countercultural. When politicians turn into WWF people by the way they talk on both sides of the aisle, donkeys or elephants, doesn't matter. They all talk like they're talking to their opponent from SummerSlam. What they're going to do this and I'm going to do that. Why don't you just shut up and serve the people? And I said I wasn't going to be antagonistic. That slipped out. We're not just seeking to be a rude people. But this series is a call to biblical conviction, compassion, and courage. We're living in a unique time in our Western culture. It used to be a Bible culture. Most of us in this room remember the days when the Bible was the basis for the laws and the morals of our society. But increasingly, our culture is not only going away from biblical values, but they're celebrating antichrist ideologies. 
They are openly celebrating things that are clearly wrong in Scripture. They are calling evil good and good evil. The culture we're living in is ignorant concerning God's design and purpose. And rather than retreating, either from the opportunity to speak up or from the God we serve to compromise, we need to rise up and follow Christ. Matthew 9.36 says that when Jesus saw the crowds, He made fun of them for being a bunch of idiots. No, I... Oh, that's not what it says. He had compassion for them. Because they were harassed and helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus saw the chaos going on around him. And all the people doing ignorant. And I've got to watch the S word now. We have children in here. S-T-U-P-I-D. I'll try not to say But when people are doing those kind of things, Jesus didn't look at them and condemn them. He looked at them with compassion. His thought was, they need some direction. They need a shepherd. They need someone to tell them how to live. And that's the attitude we must have. When we look at our world, acting contrary to the Word of God, we must have a desire to help them find their way. One of my hopes in this series is that God would give us grace to see what He sees. To see the poor, the hungry, the neglected as He sees them. To perceive those crushed by political, economic, or ethnic oppression from His perspective. To care for the baby in the womb as well as the baby's mother as God cares for them. To love the orphan and the widow, the immigrant and the immoral, the heterosexual, the homosexual, the bisexual and the transsexual, just as God loves them. Because God does love them. He might be calling them to change. He might be calling them to repent because He has a better way. He has a better way. This kind of love will call us to action. Matthew twenty two thirty nine says, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Again, if you want to be saved, which you probably do, treat your neighbor like they want to be saved. John, in 1 John three eighteen says, Let us not love in word or talk. Let's not just sit around and talk about how much we love people. Let's actually get out there and prove we love them by doing something to try to save them. Again, the life, don't sit on your lifeguard stand and just talk about how you joined the lifeguard force so you could save people from drowning. While there's people drowning all around you, you're up there telling everybody your story about why you became a lifeguard and how many people you plan to save. And there's someone drowning five feet in front of your stand. It's going to call us to action. The goal of the gospel And this series is not just to share information. But it's to apply the gospel to our social issues. The gospel applies to our social issues. We don't view our issues through human eyes. But we view everything through the gospel. 
We must not explore all these issues with self-righteous complacency. That is content to wring our hands in pious concern. Instead, we must explore the social ills of our day with a self-sacrificing commitment to do whatever God tells us to do. For those of us who are in our Bible class this morning, you will see there's a lot of parallels happening here. That Pastor Maurice and I did not discuss previously. Are you doing what God is telling you to do? Acting with conviction and compassion will require courage to be sure. Because again, our culture is not in love with the Bible right now. They're not championing championing the things of Scripture right now. But instead there is opposition growing steeper every day. In a Christian view of the church, Francis Schaeffer writes, We need a young generation and others who will be willing to stand in loving confrontation, but real confrontation, in contrast to the mentality of constant accommodation with the current forms of the world's spirit as they surround us today. And in contrast to the way in which so much of evangelical Christians have developed the automatic mentality to accommodate at each successive point. In other words, the church is watering down the gospel because they're afraid. The church is afraid of discussing what the Bible actually says because somebody is going to call you a bigot. Somebody's going to call you misogynistic. These words we've heard a lot in the last two years. I've never heard them so much in my whole life. Again, our spirit must be right. Our attitude must be right. I think I've made that clear. Our motive must be to help save people. But we don't save anybody by telling them they're okay if they're not. It helps nobody to tell them they're okay when they're not Okay. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not a call to cultural compromise in the face of fear. It's a call to counter cultural crucifixion. Death to self in the face of earthly opposition for the sake of eternal reward. Not only mine, but others. My hope is that we would believe the gospel and that our belief would move us to be counter culture. My prayer is that God might open our eyes to the needs of people in our culture and around the world. Bring us to our knees in tears and prayers. Again, when we call corporate prayer for the church, it's not just something that we wink at. But we should be driven to our knees in tears. Again, we're so good at praying through until we feel saved. We're really good at praying until we feel like God met our need. And then it's time to get up because, hey, I'm good. And sometimes the prayer meeting is just starting. God has finally got us to get rid of ourselves enough to care about somebody else. We finally got past the veil of the flesh. God finally says, oh, they're finally worried about someone else besides themselves. And then I can finally tell them about somebody else. I can finally tell them what I want them to do. And then they stood up and they walked away. Come on. Come on. 
Because they felt saved and secure. Why else would we pray than to save ourselves? But we need to rise up with conviction and compassion and courage to humbly spread the truth of God while selflessly showing the love of God. All in hopeful anticipation of the day when sin and suffering, immorality and injustice will finally be no more. As we sung about today, we are looking for heaven. But I don't want to get so focused on me getting there, I lose sight of everybody else going the opposite direction. So that's my introduction. That's why we are talking about these things. And so this week and next week, again, Lord willing, we're just going to simply talk about some of the reasons why God and His Word are so offensive to our sinful nature and to our culture. Why do people hate the Word of God? There are three types of people. Those who believe the Gospel, those who've never heard the Gospel, and those who despise the Gospel. 1 Corinthians 1.18 tells us, 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. This should be in the, all, should be, all the verse should be in there, brother, Pastor Maurice. For the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those that perish. But unto us which are saved, it is the, what? Power of God. To those of us who are saved, it is the power of God. Okay, so don't be surprised if you tell somebody the gospel and they think you're foolish. Consider it a par for you golfers out there. That's the expected result in most cases. But we can't back down from sharing it because we get so many people declaring we are nuts. We are crazy. Whatever the case may be. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Why? Because in the world of self, it's calling us to be crucified. So for us who are saved, it's the power of God. For the people that are perishing, it's foolishness. It's going to take them a while to warm up to it. You might not convince them the first conversation. And it might just take a long time of them seeing things in your life they desire to finally realize and connect the dots. That the only reason they have the joy and the peace and those things that I want is because they responded to the gospel. That I think is ridiculous. But I've tried everything else, so maybe I should just go ahead and try what they're saying. The gospel is offensive. It's offensive. So we should quit being so defensive about it. The gospel's offense begins in the very first words of the Bible. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The very first words of the Bible make some people offended. The very first words. How many books do you read when the first words make you offended? How many things you hear? The first 
first three or four words, you're like, I'm done. This is ridiculous. I'm out of here. But the first four words, in the beginning, God. People are done right there. Oh, you're, you're telling me there's a God? Yeah. And guess what? He created everything. And you know the real reason people don't want to admit there's a God. Isaiah 40, 28 says, The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. They don't want to ultimately admit God exists because if He created everything, He's in charge of everything. And it's offensive that I have to be accountable to somebody else. We are not as the poem Invictus describes the masters of our own fate or the captains of our own souls. The author of all creation possesses authority over all creation, including you and me. We are accountable to him as our judge. That's right, judge. I'm going to say it. Judge, judge, judge. People need to be a whole lot less worried about me judging them and God judging them. He is judge of the universe. And I'm not trying to be contrary today. I'm not trying to be rude today, as I said. But it's the truth. He will judge the earth. And that offends people. Because all of us will stand in judgment. Therefore, guess what? We need His grace. We desperately need His forgiveness. We desperately need His help. And He offers it freely. But we have to humble ourselves enough to admit it. You tell any modern person, there's a God who sustains, a God who owns, defines, rules, and will one day judge you, that person will balk in offense. God doesn't own me. I own myself. I answer to me. That's a natural reaction to God. And we can laugh about other people being that way, but we've all been there. We have all responded to God that way. Some of us since we responded to the gospel. Some of us since we got saved. Some of us earlier today. This is why we seek to create philosophies and pseudoscience like evolution to explain away the existence of God. This is why we're spending billions of dollars in our space program to explore the universe and finding nothing. (laughs) Can you return some of that tax money, please? Come on, this is not rocket science. There's nothing up there that you're going to live on. I can save billions of dollars for our government by telling them this is the only planet we can live on. Leave the rest of it alone. They haven't even come close. But they're spending billions of dollars every year to try to find a suitable planet to live on because they're afraid when this one quits being habitable, they've got to have somewhere to go. No, that's time to meet Jesus. They all feel it. They all feel it's coming to an end. They know it's getting close to an end. But they're trying to escape the fact that they're going to stand before Jesus. 
So they're trying to find another plan. Who's going to have the money to be part of that program anyways? They find some life on some planet somewhere. Oh, I'm going to ride the magical school bus there? I mean, how are we going to get there? point is, it's ridiculous the extent to which humanity is going to remove God from the equation. When you really boil down the things that they claim, there's nothing for them to stand on. And again, I'm not being rude. I'm just simply stating that sometimes we, be, we profess to become wise and instead we become fools. Because even... The most unwise person, wisdom begins with the knowledge of God, a respect and a reverence for God. So when we don't even respect and reverence that God exists and then we're accountable to him, we have zero wisdom. Zero. So I would strongly recommend you today when you're sitting in class and they're telling you a bunch of crazy stuff about being no God and how this world came to be billions of years ago. And we could go on and on that rabbit trail that's so crazy. It gets so crazy they can't even explain themselves. And they're trying to tell you to buy into that garbage. Turn your ears off. When I sat in college and listened to all that stuff. I would just listen and write the paper so they knew I listened. But I would never claim any kind of personal belief in what it said. Well, they say, blah, 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 blah. This person said, blah, 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 blah. So they know I listened. They had to give me a good grade. But I didn't agree with any of that garbage. Don't any of you kids say to your parent, pastor said I don't have to listen to any of my teachers. Some of you kids have perked up there a couple minutes ago, probably. Mike is not happy right now. He was planning on that until I said that. This idea that we we're giving up a whole bunch of stuff to follow God is just ridiculous. It may seem like a sacrifice at first, but giving ourselves to God is the greatest thing we could ever do. Submitting to Him as our Creator in His ways. A few more minutes. Again, I want your mind to be engaged today. I want you to think about these things because we're being assaulted left and right. Being made to think we're a bunch of morons for believing the Bible. Again, I'm not trying to be contrary. I'm just saying that it's ridiculous. It's foolish. The Word of God is right. When we acknowledge God has created the universe... We know we're accountable to Him. We're admitting He has the right to define what is right and what is wrong. God alone gets to choose right and wrong. Thankfully, He's gracious and He's kind and He doesn't hide that from anybody. It's not hard to get a Bible. It's pretty easy. If you don't have a dollar to go to Dollar Tree and buy one yourself, I'll find out a way to sacrifice and get you one. It's not hard. He's not hiding the truth from anybody. 
They're making you pay thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars to go to university to hear their stuff. And you can buy a Bible for a few dollars and most people are going to university instead of this. And I'm not against anybody getting a degree going to college. I'm just saying this is first. And God's not charging you an arm and a leg. He's giving it to you. He communicates with anyone who seeks Him. You can be honest and say, God, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. That seems crazy. You can ask Him just like that. And He has a way of showing us. We see in the very beginning of human history, when God created Adam and Eve, He placed them in the earth, created this perfect place for them to live, Much better than it is now. The Garden of Eden. And he defined right and wrong. In the very beginning. Genesis 2. 16 through 17. The Lord commanded the man saying. Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. Good deal. Right? You can eat any of these trees. But. One tree. You can't eat of the tree. Of the knowledge of good and evil. Do not eat that. For in the day you eat it, you shall surely die. Very straightforward. There's no confusion in that communication. Right? Eat whatever you want but one tree. Eat that tree, you're going to die. Very clear. Very simple. This wasn't something that required a doctorate degree. You didn't have to translate it. You didn't have to look up the words and the definitions. It was clear. And I believe that's the way God's word is when we seek to find out what it says. He reveals it crystal clear. So how did Adam and Eve respond to God's goodness? Same way we do. They didn't listen very well. They might have listened well. They didn't obey very well. Genesis 3, 1 through 6. We're going to run through a few verses then we're going to wrap it up. Again, what is a problem in our society? Why do so many people get duped into thinking God doesn't exist? Why do so many people think that the Bible is not right? Why, 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 why? This is not new. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not new. Genesis 3.1 Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast in the field. We're reading the New King James Version. More cunning He's crafty. He's subtle. He's sly. He's not going to come up and tell you, hey, I'm going to show you how to die. Let me tell you something that's going to kill you. It's not what he says. He's crafty about it. He presents a pretty package. He came up to the woman and he said, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Did God really say not to eat every tree? The first attempt of the enemy is to get us to question, Did God really say that? Very subtle. 
The first attack on God's word. Did God really say that? Nowadays, the words of this book. Did God really say all that? Uh, in our day, persecution of God's word still continues. Much of our modern scholarships engage in the work of seeking to destroy faith that this is a divinely inspired book. In many of our seminaries, the rising generation of clergy, of ministers who are supposed to communicate this, are taught that Genesis is a book of myths. It's just some stories. No wonder our churches have problems. When the ones who are supposed to lead them are believing that it's a bunch of stories that didn't necessarily happen. You ever had anybody tell you that? Oh, it's just a bunch of nice stories to help us learn about life. That's not a new tactic. That's an old trick by the sly devil. Just a book of myths. That much of the teaching of the Pentateuch is immoral. The first five books of the Bible. It's just a bunch of immorality. How could a God who's immoral tell me to be moral? Not understanding that when God acts in justice, there is a perfectly good reason. That the historical records of the Old Testament are unreliable. And listen to this. We hear this a lot. It's just man's creation. It's not God's revelation. Man wrote it. How much can we rely on it? It's your word against mine. No other book has provoked such fierce opposition as the Bible. Its preservation is enough reason for us to understand there's something miraculous happening here. I don't know how a Bible could exist with as much attack as there's been unless God was fulfilling His Word where He declared, the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the Word of God shall abide forever. If God could keep three Hebrew boys in the midst of a fiery furnace, how much more will He keep His Word unharmed and unscorched? We need to learn to believe it. If we're going to be saved, we have to believe the Word of God. Because the Word of God is what teaches us how to be saved. So it makes sense the enemy would attack it. C.H. Spurgeon said, I would recommend you either believe God up to the hilt, that means all the way, or else don't believe it at all. Believe this is the book of God, every letter of it, or else reject it. There's no logical standing place in between. Believe every word. Has God really said? Did God really say that? It's not a new thing. It's been around since the very beginning of human existence. The enemy whispering in your mind. Did God really say that? And we need to make up in our minds. Yes, he did. It's that simple. Yes, he did. 
He said it. I'm going to believe it. That settles it. Verse 2. The woman's response to the serpent. She demonstrates she pretty much knows what was said. A slight variation. But she says, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, God said, you should not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. So she knows what the Word of God says. So Satan says next, you're not going to die. He goes in the beginning to get you to question what God says. And then if you stand on what God says, he contradicts it. You're not going to die. You're not going to... Surely, a God of love is going to kill people? Again, I'm not trying to be rude. I'm not trying to even be a smart aleck all the way. Maybe a little bit. That's the way... I used it to get in trouble a lot growing up, so I can use it for some good every once in a while. The point is, God is love, and that's why He will judge. We have this problem. We think, God's not going to judge me because we're only thinking about our eternal destination. We're only thinking about how my choices affects me. We're not thinking about the weight of people that we are messing up with our stupid, poor decisions. I almost said it. I apologize. Okay. Little Johnny who punches his brother in the face doesn't want to get a whooping. You can't spank me. You can't put me in time out. You love me. Look at this face. Look how sweet I am. And Johnny's nose is bleeding. His little brother's got a bloody nose, but don't, don't hurt me. Again, that's the problem where we don't think God's going to judge us. We don't think about how our sinful choices are destroying other people's lives. Every sinful choice I make is going to hurt somebody else. It's going to hurt somebody That's why Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When we choose to sin, we are choosing death. And God will follow through on His promise. Both in the good and the bad. So repent. All you have to do is accept the gospel, respond to the gospel, repent, submit to God, get baptized in Jesus' name, receive the Holy Ghost, and live an obedient life, and you won't have to worry about it. None of us is perfect. But if we think God's not going to judge us at the end because He loves us, that's ridiculous. Not even a judge in the flesh would keep his job if he kept dismissing criminals for no reason. Oh, I see you killed 13 of your neighbors, but I love you, man. Have a good day. Those 13 neighbors and their families suffered horribly, but love you, man. See how we twist it? 
We're only thinking, how does this affect me? If I do this, it's not that big a deal because it only affects me. No, it doesn't. God has to act in justice for those who my sin is causing problems. Again, I'm just trying to provoke you to thought. I'm not trying to be rude or unkind. I'm trying to get you to think about things today. Don't fall for the deception of the enemy says, don't worry about it. You can sin all you want. You don't really have to follow the word of God. You're not really going to die. It's a lie. In verse 5, it goes on to say, the real reason why God is not wanting you to eat this tree, because the day you eat of it, your eyes are going to be open and you're going to understand all things. You're going to know good and evil. And he's just trying to keep that knowledge from you because he just wants to have that knowledge himself. He doesn't want to share Satan appeals to our pride. And God in His internal infinite wisdom aptly named the tree the knowledge of good and evil because when we eat of that tree, we are telling God we know better than Him what's good and evil. Whenever we decide we know what's good, better than God, and we know what's evil, better than God, we're eating of that tree. And every day, people in this world are eating of that tree and they're calling evil good and they're calling good evil and they don't care what God thinks. They're eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the nectar of that fruit gets you drunk on your own pride to where you begin to condemn God. You switch roles and instead of Him judging you and Him judging the world and Him saying what's right and wrong because He created it, we in our infinite little puny brains stand up and say, I know God doesn't know. How arrogant can we get? I wish I could put it nicely, but I cannot put that nicely. It's an arrogance to say, I know better than God. I've been guilty of it myself. But at some point we've got to say, I serve God, not the other way around. I'm almost done, but when we understand this first sin, hastening to to finish, but I'm saying all these things for a reason. When we understand this attitude that was expressed in the garden, we understand moral relativism in our day. When people try to usurp or even eliminate God, we lose objectivity for determining what's good and evil, right and wrong, moral and immoral. It just becomes everybody does that which was right in their own eyes. If you say it's okay, then it's okay. If I say it's okay, it's okay. Guess what? We can't live that way. Not everybody can be right. Eventually, somebody's going to be wrong. Absolute truth is something that we try to get rid of, but it's there nonetheless. One person said, well, I just, I just believe if I don't do any harm to anybody else and I just be true to myself, that's the way to live. Who gets to define harm? Because again, we are not objective When we're thinking about ourselves. A couple practical things. Then we'll read some verses and close. But a very practical application of this. And we'll spend more time in the future. But 
Many times people say something, it's a phrase that's used, my body, my choice. You ever heard anybody say that? My body, my choice. And to qualify again, I'm not saying it's, it's a worse sin than any sin I've committed. I'm no better than somebody who's had an abortion. And I pray that God will bring healing to anybody who's had an abortion. And that's my desire is this church will help ladies who have been duped into thinking that was what was best. That we help them find real healing and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. But the point is, who chooses for that body's baby, that baby's body? My body, my choice. I can rip this baby out if I want to. My body, my choice. Who chooses for the child? What about their choice? And again, to help ourselves not feel bad about it, we dehumanize it and we call it a fetus. It's not a baby, it's a fetus. What does it matter if it dies? What does it matter that it has a heartbeat and arms and legs and eyeballs and every part of its body like we have and it's in there living and breathing and all of a sudden one day it's dead because somebody stabs it and kills it? Oh, it doesn't matter. It's just a fetus. When you look at it biblically, it changes just a little bit. People make it seem like it's just this Normal procedure people can do. It's the taking of a life. It's often grotesque and inhumane and immoral. How do people get to thinking that abortion is okay? Because of moral relativism. Because of their eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. How did so many well-meaning citizens in Germany contribute to the Holocaust? Many of them Christians. We have to surrender to God. So that's the challenge. But it, here's the beauty. If we are the captains of our own souls, we're responsible to navigate this life and figure it all out. And... How has that worked out for you? It's really stressful to try to figure things out on my own. It's really stressful to do simple, basic, daily tasks. And we want to solve the problems of the world. And we want to decide right and wrong. We want to decide this and that. Instead of just picking it up and finding out. Just reading it. It'll tell us us what to do. Psalm 119, 104 through 105. Three more verses here. Your commandments give me understanding. No wonder I hate every false way of life. How did the psalmist learn to hate False things. Through the word of God. Again, not hate people. But hate those false ways. Because those false ways are destroying those people who think they're doing the right thing. 
I hate every false way because it destroys lives. It keeps people below God's best for them. I don't have to figure out my path because His Word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Psalm 139.24 Point out anything in me that offends you. This is something simple we can pray, all of us, no matter how old we are. Lord, is there anything in my life that offends you? Again, how often do we hear, well, if God's that way, that offends me. I won't serve a God like that. We hear people say that. They're offended by the Bible. But we need to read the Bible to find out what is in my life that offends him. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. Again, that's my motive for anything I've said today. If I've come across differently, I'm sorry it came across that way. I just want us all to live eternal life. I want us all to find that path. And it's found in His Word. Not in my opinion. Proverbs 15, 24, last verse. The path of life leads upward for the wise. Everything in the Word causes us to move upward. Maybe not in physical blessing. Maybe not, I'm not saying He's going to make you a millionaire if you follow the Word of God. But spiritually, the internal person, the inner man, the inner woman, it moves upward when we follow the path of life. More joy, more peace, more contentment, more love. And here's a part I really like. They leave the grave behind. They leave the grave behind. The next few weeks, again, I have not come to express any, myself being better than anybody. I'm just as much a sinner as anybody. But I'm calling us to leave the grave behind. To follow Jesus. Because there's going to be people in our lives who are going to mock the Bible. They're going to balk at the Bible. They're going to make us feel horrible for believing the Bible. But we must continue to stand on His Word if we are going to make heaven our home. Amen. We could stand. I hope we've thought about what we've heard today. And again, not because I delight in it, but there is a place called hell. And I'm just going to talk to you very unemotionally because I don't want anybody to say I'm trying to sensationalize anything. Hell is a real place. Some people don't believe there's a, there's a hell, but they believe in heaven. You can't have one or the other. If there's heaven, there's hell because they're both biblical. And I don't believe God is willing that anybody goes to hell. The Bible says He's not. He's not willing that any would perish. He wants every person to be saved. But He can't... Again, back to the lifeguard. He is the, he is the lifeguard who will get off that stand and save anybody. But you can't save someone who wants to drown. They may not know that's what they're doing. But if we resist God, we push Him away, 
We try to figure out our, oh, I can get, I can swim. I can do, I can tread water for hours. I'm good. And we don't let God save us. We've taken it into our own hands. Then we stand on our own in eternity. But if we surrender to him, he covers us with his blood. And the Bible says when we stand before him, this is what I love. In Colossians it says, I am going to be holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. I'm going to be pure and clean, washed white as snow. Not because I'm such a good person. No, I'm just as bad as anybody else. But because I simply surrendered to Jesus. And I said, whatever your word says, Lord, I want to try to do it. I may not understand it. It may take me a while to figure out what it says. But when I figure out what it says, then I have to just settle it. It's okay for me to study it. It's okay for me to question, Lord, is this really what you're saying? I'm not sure I understand this correctly. But as soon as you show me, I have to make a choice to follow you. Or to follow the pressures of this society and this culture we're living in. What does your word say? What does your word say? So as we close today, I'm going to encourage us. Everybody just focus on yourself. Don't worry about anybody else around you. But if you'll just take a couple moments and talk to the Lord. And just commit to follow his word. Because before we can help anybody else be saved. Before we can do what we desire to do. We ourselves have to be following his word. And like you, there's been many times in my life where I've been thinking I was doing the right thing. And I was going down a totally different path because I wasn't reading the Bible enough. I wasn't praying enough. And I thought I was doing everything I should do. But God showed me, you're going down the wrong path, son. If you don't turn around, the end of that path is destruction. But if you turn around, I'll give you life. I'll give you joy. I'll give you something greater than this world could ever give you. More than all the money, more than all the wealth and the fame and those things that we desire in our flesh, the acceptance and the longing for others to know us and to appreciate us. Better than all that, God has a way of giving us peace, contentment, and rest. We just got to say no to the serpent. God did say, and I'm going to follow it so that I can have life, so that I can live. Just take a moment to pray. Just you and God, just talking for a minute. Lord, I want to be saved. I want to, I want to make heaven my home, Jesus. I don't want to be deceived by this world. I don't want to be turned away. The Lord was pleading with the Israelites. Repent and live. I don't want you to die. I don't want you to be lost. Come to me. Turn to me. Surrender to me. And I will give you life. you've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit today, you've never had God's Spirit come and live inside of you, 
I encourage you to just begin to ask God to fill you with His Spirit today. Maybe you don't understand everything was talked about today. That's okay, but just come and lift your hands and say, Lord, I'm here because I need you. I need your word in my life. I need your spirit in my life, Jesus. I don't want to be lost. Not every service is like this. Sometimes we rejoice and sometimes we shout, but now is a call to repentance because God loves you. God loves you today more than you understand, more than